you're like so gay. Hi, all you sexual deviants <laughs> and sexual deviant wannabes. What up, homos? What's going on? <laughs> my name is Aaron. And my name is Matt. And this is Queering the Ale, a weekly podcast where we talk about whatever we want. A true crime podcast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, imagine if we just like, if we just fully transitioned into a, a true crime podcast. That would be so chaotic. It could be like a, a special one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I could talk about uh, what happened with my car break-in. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Nah, we'll save that for a later episode. What's yeah, up? My name is Aaron. Fine. I'm 25. <laughs> I uh, use he, him pronouns. I live in Los Angeles and I work in television and uh, yeah, woohoo. <laughs> Love that. My name is Matt. I'm 26. I currently live in New York. I use he/him pronouns as well. I'm in law school, um, and there's a dog walking around around me. So sorry if you're picking up any of that. A lawyer and a and a media producer walk into a bar. Just kidding. They don't because it's COVID and they live on opposite sides of the country. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> it's been a long week. I'm going to say that every episode. It's just been a really busy time. It's a but crazy time. I cannot believe it's almost been a year of quarantine. Oh my God. It's so Whatever. I guess we don't need to so talk about crazy. that. Well, I'm going to just say giving lots of love and support to everybody who has been, well, we've all been, but, well, but um, everyone who's, <laughs> feeling like a year is a very long time and you're kind of going through it because it is a long fucking time and you definitely are going through it. So lots of love and support. It's the longest year of everybody's oh. life probably. Seriously. So yeah, all the love and support out to everybody. Cue We're All in This Together by High School Musical. Oh my God. You okay. Love that song. <laughs> Dave, my boyfriend literally will not watch High School Musical with me. It's infuriating. It's homophobic. I know. I'm like, are you even gay? <laughs> oh my God. Can you um, imagine if after four years, he's like, Matthew, I have to tell you something. <laughs> I like women. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, so that doesn't, doesn't make really make any, any sense. sense. <laughs> so like, so like I've met you. <laughs> yeah. oh. Shout out to Dave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also shout out to Mara, Brett and Emily. <laughs> Our supporter is, uh, I mean, and everybody who listens to Queering There every single week, we adore you, but shout out to those three mm-hmm. for um, being part of like the monthly supporter subscription service. We love you and appreciate you a lot. <laughs> and if you also want to uh, make a monthly contribution to the podcast, it really just makes our days. Uh, you can do so on the Anchor platform. Um, there's like a little button that says support and you can choose an, an amount to donate every month to us. I guess I shouldn't say donate to us. That sounds really yeah, strange, but I mean, it goes towards good things. It goes towards making sure that the episodes are getting produced and the quality that we want them to. And that <laughs> it's you deserve. Honestly, the, the only thing that, that we've been doing with the money so far is like putting it towards equipment to like make better uh, like episodes and then <laughs> merchandise and stuff. So, mm-hmm. We're putting all of the money that we make back into the podcast right now. So, yeah, 
Yes. My po- Let me tell you, my pockets are not being lined. <laughs> no. Although if somebody would like to line my pockets, I would appreciate it because they are... <laughs> my Venmo some... is Cooperstown. Yeah. <laughs> what? It is. Um, really? You know how on Instagram they started putting up all those like, hey, this person needs donations. If you have any like extra money, like you can Venmo them. Like I was trying to like Venmo like black trans people during February and then like mm. other people who need help with rent. And I was like, Oh God, if I'm like going to be Venmoing strangers, I probably shouldn't have like all of my information on my Venmo. So I changed my name and my mm. username so that it's like a little bit more separated from me. So yeah. Okay. I don't know. I just got cool. kind of paranoid. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, speaking of that, um, do you want to give a, another plug? I know we've done it a few times, but it's going to be ongoing, so get used to it. For um, Faith, our episode with Faith, if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and check it out. But she is doing some unbelievable, amazing, incredibly important work in L.A., helping out with housing and feeding and financial assistance and you name it for a bunch of trans women of color um, helping them get off the streets and into stable environments. So um, we will link that in the description. Uh, make sure you check out her Instagram for more info on how you can help that um, every day. She can use your dollars and they're all going straight towards good work. So, Yes, she's doing the work for you. Just send her some dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally. Period. Yes, we also wanted to um, take a moment to chat about something we got a dm from will thank you will for hey will prompting this this convo but um will sent a very articulate dm kind of talking about this like this strange phenomenon that isn't really talked about that much and could probably be its own episode but we wanted to like address it in the intro to this week's episode But it's kind of this phenomenon of being in a space that isn't like explicitly homophobic or problematic, but still a very heteronormative, hetero-centered space. And he was saying that he goes to a smaller NESCAC school in a very rural area. And well, it's not explicitly like homophobic and he's never dealt with hate. Like it's still kind of a struggle to be queer in a space like that and he was he was wondering predominantly if matt and i had ever experienced anything like that and i know that i absolutely have a lot (laughs) and i believe that matt has as well yeah absolutely i mean i think it's a it's a really strange thing or environment to be in it reminds me of like when dogs are not socialized at a young age at least this is what my boyfriend tells me, that they don't really know how to behave around other dogs, so you have to put them around dogs so that they, like, kind of learn what is appropriate and what's not and, like, what they can and can't do, and they, like, learn how to be a dog. And so I think it's a very similar thing, at least in my experience, where, like, when I came out and I was, like, I was gay, but I didn't have anybody to, like, show me the ropes. Like, I didn't have anybody... Yeah, be gay with or to, like realize that like saying certain things is like not acceptable just because you're gay or like whatever so you like don't necessarily grow in the right 
direction or in an appropriate direction and you mm-hmm. have, like creating that space for yourself isn't always gonna t- gr- you're not always gonna grow into like the person that you want to be yeah when did you experience that mostly in high school in high school yeah it because i went to like a very like you know it was accepting and you know i never really had any issues but i also like just didn't have any other people around like i didn't have any friends or like good friends that were also queer mm-hmm. yeah you know, there were other people at the school but we like went into were in different circles yeah and that's like the bullshit of high school where it's like mm-hmm. weird dynamics and shit that doesn't matter but at the time everything like is heightened and then you yeah. look back and you're like huh <laughs> um, what about you I experienced it a little bit differently and I mean, I didn't, I didn't really come out until college and then like being at Tufts was gay. It was like not a heteronormative space really at all. Um, (laughs) But after I graduated, I moved to Europe for a year and I was working for a travel company and I was living in Rome and Barcelona and like, while everyone there was very accepting for the most part, for the most part. Um, there were like a few homophobic instances, but like, I mean, people weren't outwardly assholes at all. They like tried to at least conceal it. Um, but I like, didn't really realize this while I was there and, 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 and I didn't realize it until I came back, but like, I just wasn't really being myself, like not having any queer people around me or even any just like queer energy, like not like I never went I went to a gay bar like a few times in Rome, but like large in part, I was only hanging out with straight people and I was only doing straight things. And I just like didn't really realize until I got home and I was like reunited with everybody that I was really close with in America, like from college and whatnot, um, my homos, that I just like wasn't really, I don't know, it was weird. Like I, like I looked back and I was like, oh shit, like I was missing out on a lot of myself, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and at the time I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I just, I kind of was feeling like a little bit suffocated while I was there. And I think that, I mean, for a lot of reasons, there were, there were a lot of things (laughs) going on while I was working for that travel company in Europe. Um, but part of it was definitely that I didn't have that like social outlet or like anybody to talk about gay shit with or really anything like that. So, yeah. So getting back to what you said, well, I mean, I think it is a, it is a weird phenomenon situation type thing where either you are forced to create a space for yourself or you don't realize that that's not happening or you don't have that space until you're like wait what I'm like not getting to explore this part of myself at least Mm -hmm. in our experiences so I'm curious to hear other other situations that people have been in um where they felt like that you know they were it was cool that they were gay, but it was like, they were the only ones. Like, how do you respond to that? It's not always the most fun. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And I think there actually is like, in certain spaces, I've seen this before where people like, it's definitely not healthy, but people like enjoy being like, Oh, I'm the only gay one here. Like that's like, I'm special because of that. You know, I'm thinking of like, specific instances in like college and stuff (laughs) where people are like no i'm the gay one here like that's my thing and it's like well that's very weird Mm. and there's you're also not the only gay one there you're just the only gay one that 
is outward about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Yeah, topic for a later <laughs> time. <laughs> um, but if you if this is like really striking a chord with you and you have a lot to say on it and you would want to come on the podcast, like feel free to mm-hmm. DM us. Like, I I think this would be an interesting topic for like a long form discussion with other people as well. If you have anything to contribute to it, which yeah, I'm sure totally I'm sure somebody listening does. And I'm curious yeah. if, if anyone listening is going to hear this and be like, Oh shit. Like I did go through that and I didn't really realize it. Cause it's, yeah, it isn't something that's really talked about that much. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it until I saw those messages from, from Will and I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Oh yeah. shit. I went through that too. Yeah. Like, didn't and I didn't even realize that that was what was going on. I meant to talk about it a little bit in my, coming out episode like when i was interviewed and i completely mm-hmm. forgot <laughs> i mean yeah there's like so many things i'm sure we both were meant to talk about <laughs> yeah 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 but but um, anyway yeah so thanks for that will another fun thing make sure that you are following our spotify playlist make sure you check it out we're gonna be putting the our songs of the week there every week Woo-hoo! stay up to date with our moods and vibes yeah and then we have a collaborative playlist um, for anybody listening who has music that they want to share. You can follow that one on Spotify as well. And literally all you do is just you follow it and then you drag music in. It's beautiful. And but nobody's big, added anything yet. <laughs> so rude. Just me. You fake hoes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what's so your song of the note, week? I was going to ask you what your song of the week was, but I guess I can go first. Um, I have been listening to anyone by Justin Bieber a lot. Mm. I don't know why. I don't even remember the first time I heard the song, but all of a sudden I just started like singing the chorus in my head and I was like, what song is this? What's going on? And so I Googled it and was like, now this can't be it. And then I listened to it and was like, this is totally it. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening to that nonstop. It's really good. It's so good. I'm so excited for his new album. Me too. I think it's going to be really good. I hope so. I'm hoping it's going to be really good. Me too. I hope it's full of bops. Full of um, bops. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, real quick, I will ask you your song in a second, but I was thinking the other day because I, sorry, came on. Um, <laughs> when after anyone, because I just like put Just Bieber on shuffle on Spotify. And my first reaction was, how lucky are we to have been in college when sorry came out? Oh, my God. What a moment. I can still picture listening to it in Ren, like vividly. Oh on I think I listened to that song 785 times that year or like something absurd. Wow. <sighs> Never forget when Zoe was like, I don't really like it. And then like yeah, a week later, she was like, it's the best song ever. Have you heard it? And we were like, Zoe, <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, Aaron, what's your song of the week? Um, Naturally, I have like 47 because I just listen to it. Oh have God. you heard Monsters by All Time Low featuring Black Bear? Probably not. Uh, yeah. You have. What did you say? I probably haven't. I don't know. There's one thing I'm good at. It's keeping up with pop punk bands. Okay. Well, I hadn't heard it and it came on shuffle and I like died. It's so good. Um, Another song that I found today. Well, I'd I'd heard it before, but I hadn't like really listened to it. Um, May, who we had on a month ago. Crazy that that was a month ago at this point. But she has a song called Say Goodbye and it's on Spotify and it's so good. It's so good. So I'm going to do those two this week. Fuck it up. Yeah. So make sure you check out the our Spotify playlist. 
Yeah. What else did we do this week? Oh my God. We were on another podcast. We're international. <laughs> international, bitch. We're like Mary Kate yes. and Ashley goes to London. Um, um, anyway, yeah, we were on Chat and Shit with Liam Dean. Make sure you guys go check it out. It was so much fun. It and was. if you like that, there may be something coming in the future Ooh. with him Ooh. on this yeah. podcast, but I don't know. TBD. Is this, the cro- is this the crossover event of the century? That's so sweet. Life of Hannah Montana. Chat and shit <laughs> with Queer in the Air. Wait, that makes perfect sense because like you and me are Zach, Zach and Cody. Cody and he's Hannah Montana that he literally talked about it. Oh my God. Tons of fun. Yeah, I think. I think and that's Matt, it for updates. Who do we have on the episode this week? Oh my gosh. Uh, this week we have the incredible and very talented and unbelievably well spoken Chris <laughs> Mosier. Period. Chris is a trans male athlete. Chris <laughs> came out in 2010. The following 10 years were full of like achievement after achievement after achievement. It, it's like, I'm going to read you just a few of his accomplishments and they're like, it's incredible. So he was inducted into the National Gay and Lesbian Sports Hall of Fame in 2014 and became the first openly transgender man inducted. So, like, that's dope. He also went on the next year, earned a spot on Team USA for a sprint duathlon and became the first transgender athlete to compete in a world championship race. Then in 2019, he won two national championships in the U.S. in race walking and then in 2020 became the first openly transgender male athlete to compete in Olympic trials alongside other men also in race walking. Very wildly impressive. Um, like he is unbelievable. And where you're going to hear a little bit about it. He's got a killer mustache. <laughs> he does. <laughs> that quarantine stash. Yeah. Being able to speak with Chris was like an incredible honor, but we honestly only scratched the surface a little bit. He has done some other incredible podcasts that if you enjoy this episode, you should definitely check out. We didn't really get too much into like some aspects of his personal story that blew me away. Like had too many strokes his senior year of college and that kind of like changed his path. I think he like flatlined and like almost died and then came back to life. And he was like, well, if I can do that, then I can do fucking anything. And then he set his mind to becoming like an incredible, like world-class athlete and then went to the Olympic trial. So it's really, really wild. Yeah. Getting to speak with him he's, was an honor. So it was just, it was so cool to talk to him. I mean, he's somebody that I've seen in the media and seen in on so many different levels and platforms for years now. So to be able to talk to him was like, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was like a little starstruck when he came on. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy the interview. He's yes. so awesome. Um, we did have some technical difficulties with this interview. So we are using our backup recording. So this, the quality isn't as good as it typically is. So I apologize for that. But um the content what we lack of the in podcast. quality we make up for in content yeah the quality of the audio isn't that great but the quality of the episode is amazing so uh yes one of the questions we had written down that we almost asked was um do you think that you had an advantage in race walking because queer people walk exponentially faster than the straights but we didn't ask that <laughs> <laughs> and i kind I, of wish I, we I, did I, as soon as we hung up, I realized that we forgot to ask that, and I was so mad. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, here's Chris, and we will see you next week.
are joined by the amazing and comparable Chris Mosier. Chris, thank you for Woo-hoo. for hanging with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So excited, excited to be to chatting chat with, with you. you. See, this is like we spent so much time together in college, and it's lasted this long that we still say like the exact same sentence. So it's adorable, <laughs> even yeah. over Zoom, okay. which is wild. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so, Chris, in our intro, we talked a lot about you know your accomplishments and your titles, and a lot about who you are from kind of you know what the public knows about you. But from your mm-hmm. from in your own words, I guess you know who are you. Oh, wow. That was, you might've just hit me with like the hardest podcast question I've ever had. Well, all right. <laughs> we've got Starting plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, sit back. No. Um, gosh, you know, I think that's a, that's an interesting question of like, it could be, I could tell people anything I want about me right now. Right. But like how I've been on podcasts mostly has been as an athlete and as an advocate. And I think, um, it's really important that people know of me as an athlete because of the advocacy piece. And I think what I'm really passionate about and, and, you know, who am I outside of sports is I am a fierce advocate for the trans community and specifically for trans and non-binary youth. And I want to be a representation uh, where people can look at me and see a little bit of themselves, whether they're trans or not, just, you know, can, can see themselves in my experience and uh, also aspire to be better versions of themselves because of what they see in me. That's awesome. Wow. It's kind of, kind of like I'm a, I am a husband. I am a bunny caretaker um, and Aww. a coach. <laughs> uh, I have two, two rabbits. Um, they're senior rabbits. And uh, they take up actually a lot of time. <laughs> um, I'm going to cry. They're, they're amazing. Uh, yeah, check my Instagram for bunny time. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think um, we are all such multidimensional people that it's really interesting to be faced with a question like this. You're going to send me into some sort of like existential life, life crisis here <laughs> and thinking about like, what do I want people to know, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean, I think your, your achievements and your reputation kind of precedes you, but we also recognize that like, there's a lot of other, there are a lot of other aspects of you that probably aren't necessarily highlighted as much on podcasts or like in news articles and things like that. And I yeah, think, definitely. So yeah. I'm a public speaker is, is kind of, you know, my, my like job now is athlete and advocate. And in that, you know, I use sport as, as my platform for my advocacy, um, you know, to be sponsored by Nike, to be on Team USA, obviously gives me a platform to talk about what's important to me. And that's about, you know, the experience as a trans person in this world and some of the issues that, you know, my community is facing. And obviously I'm a case study of one, I can only speak about my own experience, but I can definitely mm-hmm. talk about how I've seen it differ from other people in the community, particularly trans women, trans people of color, very different experiences. And so sport provides that platform for that. Um, in addition to that, I'm a coach. And so I got my coaching certifications because I wanted to be a better athlete myself. And then just saw this awesome opportunity to introduce other people into sport to the fall in love with it the way that I fell in love with sport. And um, sport has been such an integral part of me learning about and, and becoming comfortable about my identity as a trans person. You know, and I, I want everyone to have that opportunity to learn more about themselves, to find family and community through sport. Um, so I can do that as a coach. And 
uh, yeah, everything's been canceled for me because of COVID. So I've had a, you know, a real opportunity to focus in on my website and more of that advocacy work um, online, which is really an interesting moment to be in, right? Where like your job mm-hmm. actually can be being on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and, and that's, uh, yeah, what, what a wild time we're in. Totally. I think that's an interesting thing that you kind of bring up um, about this almost feeling of responsibility that we have and that I'm sure you feel being this like well-known public figure kind of like representing the LGBT and the trans community in a public space. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. It was a very calculated decision to become that person, which is really interesting because when I think back about my experience, so I didn't know about my gender identity. I had a sense that I wasn't like my brother. I wasn't like the kids in my class. I wasn't like the little girls that I knew. And I identify as a trans man. I was assigned female at birth, raised and socialized as female. Even in college, I didn't know trans people in real life. I didn't have experience with being around the trans community or the LGBTQ community. And I also had a lot of internalized homophobia and transphobia looking back on it now, and just the messages that I got were from trashy daytime talk shows or from hearing, you know, family members or people around me, specifically adults, talk about Will and Grace or Ellen DeGeneres coming out in, in a really negative way. And and that was, those were the messages that I got. So there wasn't something positive about being queer in, in my family, in, in the eyes of my family. And I didn't know that I internalized that until you know, much later on when I did some unpacking, but I didn't identify as queer even in college. So it was really, um, it was really at the end of my college career that at that time I started to date a woman and I had never considered myself queer. I had never been attracted to women before and just fell in love with this person and in, in this relationship. And I had a really, really hard time telling people that I was in a relationship with a woman. And when I look back on it and what I figured out, you know, in hindsight was that people would call us a lesbian couple or, you know, make comments about us being together. And it, that never fit for me because I didn't identify as a woman and I never felt strong in that identity as a woman. So, to you know, I would, I would say, you know, call me queer. Uh, I, would, I would prefer gay over lesbian uh, for my own identity. And but queer is a better fit for me. And I think that I really struggled with that. And I really struggled with telling people even coming out as queer. So then mm-hmm. fast forward, you know, several years later, when I did understand my gender identity, when I did have this opportunity to transition categories in sport, to come out at work, to socially transition, medically transition. And I was really faced with, you know, this idea of, Part of me just wanted to quit jobs, move to another state, you know, start over again with a new group of friends and just be the person that I, that I felt like I was really meant to be and have people interact with me in a way that was really authentic to the way that I saw myself. But then I saw this huge opportunity because of the lack of visibility for people like me, like, because, Mm -hmm. and I actually don't know where the two of you are based, but imagine being in New York city and not seeing another queer person, like not knowing another person who's like you in New York City. And I think about my experience of, of not knowing a trans person in real life in a way that I could talk to and interact with and ask questions. And that was in New York City. Like imagine people across <laughs> the country, right? That is really like a, wild. 
like people across the country have have no one to look to, don't know that they are possible because they don't see themselves reflected back in a positive way in the media, in newspapers, specifically in sports. And so I just saw this huge opportunity to be that person. And, you know, I probably talked about it in therapy for nine months, a year before I actually publicly came out after competing in a triathlon uh, as male. And, you know, it was a really calculated decision, like I said, because I would forever be the trans man in sports. Mm -hmm. There was not like you come out one time on the internet, you are forever queer, right? <laughs> like, and, and, and for trans people, they always want to put that, that designator of transgender in whatever title it is, any accomplishment that I have. Yeah. yeah people always lead with the fact that I'm trans. Mm -hmm. And so I, I suspected that would happen and, and really had to come to a place where I was okay with that before I came out. That's so true. It's never just your accomplishments. It's your accomplishments as a trans person. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be frustrating. Um, but I want to back up a little bit, actually. Um, and you talk about being queer and something, you know, it's obviously in the name of the podcast. And um, correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. I think you are in a relationship with a, a, a woman, right? Correct. Yep. Right. So what does being queer mean to you, especially in a, you know, heterosexual presenting relationship? I mean, I think there's a lot of nuance. ways you could describe, yeah, <laughs> a lot of nuance and so many different like descriptors to everything. But, you know, as someone, as, as a man who's dating a woman, what does being queer mean to you? Yeah. I mean, I specifically explain it to people as my sexual orientation is David Beckham. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh my God, yes. you are speaking Isn't everyone's my though? language. <laughs> like, I think everybody can kind of relate to that. Everyone, We can, can all universally that. appreciate <laughs> that for sure. Okay, but I have to ask, are we talking like long hair, almost like boy band look David Beckham or shaved head David Beckham? Or are we getting a little too nuts and we should go back to the conversation at hand? Because I could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, I, I am more of the shaved sides, long hair on top. Um, scruffy mm, face, okay. lots of tats, David Beckham. Yeah. That's, that's my guy right mm. there. Okay, um, we're on the same yeah. page. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that's really how I describe it of like, you know, I had always dated men up until, uh, until that relationship with a woman and I'm now married to her. I mean, she's just an incredible person. And I, you know, still find that I am attracted, you know, mostly to men. And for me, being queer is, I am open to relationships. I am open to, um, you know, feeling emotional attraction and and you know, to to people, right? And so, like, I'm I'm not. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm a pretty committed relationship, <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> not really worried about it. But um, I do have a pass for for David Beckham. Uh, that's, that's a good pass to have. Uh, that's a good pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is. Uh, something that I've actually seen like in the last like month or two talked about, you know, kind of for the first time, but um, did in your experience as you were transitioning, did you ever, did you find that your like sexual orientation or your, like your interest like shifted at all? Just cause I've been seeing articles and people talking about how like once they start their medical transition, like things kind of really go into flux a little bit. I mean, in your personal experience, did you ever have anything like that? 
Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I definitely read stuff about that of uh, specifically, so like trans men specifically, uh, mm -hmm. then being attracted to men or not being attracted to men anymore. And I think that part of that is our own comfort with ourselves once we begin that medical transition or the social transition. Um, but specifically, I think what you're referring to is there. there's this idea around taking testosterone, but that shifts uh, people's orientation in some capacity. And I, I've known people who have become more comfortable and then identify as gay after transition. Um, but also, you know, people who are like, no, I, um, you know, they're not, they're not explicitly related, right? Like, um, who you are and who you love are two separate things. Totally. And I think, I think that mostly that would probably have to do with being more comfortable in, in loving yourself as you are and, uh, maybe less fear about people's um, perceptions of who you are. I didn't find that, that my orientation shifted really. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that I just felt more comfortable in talking about mm. it probably because um, mm. I, I didn't talk much about being queer prior to uh, transition. And I think mostly that was because, and, and we were together for a very long time. I think it was mostly because I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin that I was afraid that talking about being queer would then lead to a conversation about my gender identity, which I wasn't ready to have. I see. That makes sense. It's kind of crazy, but it makes sense. Crazy as in like, not you are being, not you are crazy, just like as a concept. <laughs> I hope that didn't come across bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and another thing that you said before, and just in case for anyone who may not understand, and honestly, I could probably use with a better, um, a better explanation for myself. Um, you talked about like socially transitioning and medically transitioning. Do you want to just kind of talk a little bit about, I think people can probably understand what medical transitioning is a little easier maybe than socially transitioning. Um, will you just like kind of define that or explain what that kind of is? Yeah, definitely. Let's do like the, the breakdown. The, the yeah, break it down for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the first thing is, it's important to remember that there's not just one way to be transgendered. So people, uh, you know, there's not just one way to be a man, there's not one way to be a woman, and there's not one way to be trans or non-binary. And that's important to remember that while we live in this very binary system, and, and as an athlete, sport is so binary it's men's and women's yeah. teams there's not yep. room in between you know in our, in our world it is largely organized in those two categories of, of men and women but but the reality is that there is a whole spectrum of gender identity and where people fall and understand themselves to be so instead of thinking about gender as two check boxes think of it more as a line with with endpoints of man and woman or male a sliding scale Absolutely. And people can fall anywhere along there. And, and that's really important. So there's not just one way to be transgender. There's not a checklist that people have to follow or go through in order to identify as trans. What really matters in identifying as trans is that you identify as trans. <laughs> it, is yeah. a, it is a personal identity. Uh, there are three main ways that people tend to transition. And the first is socially. So that would be changing name, pronouns, uh, maybe haircut, style of dress, ex expressions and mannerisms, sort of like how you socially interact with the world. And uh, also maybe restrooms and locker rooms, like use of public facilities. Uh, that would be a social transition. And again, like people don't have to do all of those. They can do one, they can do none. It, 
it's totally fine. Uh, medical transition would be some sort of cross-hormone therapy, perhaps, of, of uh, estrogen treatment or testosterone treatment and tes or testosterone suppression. Um, and that is generally thought of as a medical transition. And then also uh, gender-affirming surgeries. So those would be a part. Uh, very important to note that not every trans person has surgery. Not every trans person, trans person wants surgery and is not required. Um, there's really no such thing as a full transition. And so transition is a lifelong process for, for most people. Um, some people will say that they identify as a man or as a woman and, and have and be of transgender experience, but not really talk about their identity as being trans. Mm -hmm. And that's also mm -hmm. valid. So um, and I think that's part of the reason why it's really difficult to get statistics on trans people to get information about us, you know, aside from the fact that um, these things like the census are very binary and a lot of surveys are very binary still and make you choose male or female. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't want to talk about their experiences being trans and fully identify within the binary of saying like, you know, if I, if that was me, maybe I would just tell you that I'm a man and not tell you that I'm trans and, and um, never talk about my transgender experience. And it's also valid. Um, so we've done social transition, medical transition. The last one would be a legal transition and that would be the legal changing of documents, mm -hmm. license, passport, IDs, birth certificate, things like that. And that's really hard to do, right? It's incredibly challenging in some states, yeah. And some states have made it much easier. Some states actually have a, a third gender category for some of their documents as well for people who don't feel like they fit within the two boxes. And uh, there are some states that just make it impossible, like absolutely impossible to change documents. And it can be incredibly challenging for members of the trans community when your documents don't align or match to who you are in the world. Totally. Yeah. I think that's probably something that a lot of people may not know is that it is, it's all based in state law. Um, and it is never, it's rarely, you know, exactly the same, even between two states where it is, you know, considered easy to, uh, to have a legal name change. Um, so it's, it's something that's definitely messy and probably is a really clear example of how, like what you were saying, that this world is set up in the male, female binary and anything that, wants to go between the two or just exist outside of that. It's we're, we're not set up to affirm those identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, some States and a lot of States actually, there's a, there's a, actually a publication rule where you have to like go in a, a public newspaper or a journal or anything and declare that you are changing your name. And in some States, what? particularly like, I know Georgia, for example, you have to do it for four consecutive weeks. And New York City as well. Uh, when I was in New York and changed my name legally, uh, I had to do the mm -hmm. same thing. And it is not only incredibly time-consuming process and challenging to navigate if you are not with a legal professional, but also very, very costly. It is yeah. expensive to publish wow. uh, in, in newspapers mm -hmm. like that, You know, in addition to the court fees and then lawyer fees. Um, but I will say that there are some incredible pro bono uh, mm -hmm. um, projects that help with name change. And I was fortunate to participate in one of those when I was in New York and, you know, still had to pay for the publication and for the um, additional things. And it was still pretty expensive, but I was very happy to have a pro bono lawyer help me navigate that process because as a trans person, as somebody who, you know, we're talking about my identity. So to go in front of a judge and have to explain myself 
felt and really argue um, it. yeah yeah and 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 it can definitely depend on the judge that you get of whether or not they'll say yes totally. and, uh you know it felt like a very um uh like vulnerable position to be in to have to defend myself and my identity it is particularly in a place where uh, trans people are not usually welcomed or safe or protected uh, yeah. in our legal system yeah oh i have so many feelings about that as a <laughs> as a legal mm. concept but i i won't get into it quite yet let me pass the bar first and then i'll start uh, <laughs> i'll start ragging on <laughs> um to jump back a little bit it's interesting hearing you talk about coming out and being a public figure saying that you have this one coming out because once you come out into the media it's like boom it's done it's over um because like matt and i were talking before this and a bunch of the individuals who we've had on our podcast who identify as trans and have lived these trans experiences kind of describe their being trans as almost like an evolution um so I, we were curious a little bit about on your feelings about that an evolution how do they describe it in what ways like an evolution as opposed to a transition they were like it's yeah. an ongoing process and we're choosing the term evolution to kind of describe this like never-ending discovering and understanding of ourselves rather than like it wasn't like okay i, I went Flipped from to switch X to y yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and i think uh, that's a great way to describe it i think that's that's great terminology and, and language that we use to describe these experiences is really important so i, I really love that idea you know i was thinking this week, actually, I was listening to a podcast that was saying, you don't want to be the same person that you were 10 years ago. And if we are the same people that we were 10 years ago, then we're in a real problem, right? Because we're not evolving. We're not, we're not growing as people. And I thought about where I was 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, I had just come out as trans. I was so nervous. I was so um, defensive and scared about being harmed in the world. And just thinking about, you know, year by year how i've grown and evolved i think that an evolution is a great way to put it and, and i hope that and this is not exclusive to trans people either i hope that we are all growing and evolving every day yeah, and i hope that i continue to evolve I, I i agree with the concept that transition is a lifelong process and like you know factually i will forever be taking testosterone every week i give myself an injection yes as a, as a person making a medical transition, that's very important to me. And I will do that until the day I die. Also, I feel like um, my relationship and my understanding of my own identity is growing and evolving. And how, when I first came out, I feel like I felt this pressure to be a certain type of guy. And I've seen, mm. you know, I'd only seen some trans guys on youtube right online documenting their transition and they mm. for the most part all kind of fit into one of two boxes and i kind of thought that i had to be a little more like that or maybe a little more like some of the cis guys that i knew and i think there was a time period where i was trying to figure out what masculinity meant to me what performing masculinity as a man meant to me and where, where I ultimately wanted to land. And so it was a real, you know, a, a great process of evolution in the first several years. And then as I became more comfortable with myself, you know, I evolved into this dude with a fancy mustache and, you know, like, a great mustache, <laughs> evolving as a, as an athlete and, and on and on. So I think that's a great way to say it. Awesome. 
I, I resonate with that probably in you know, definitely in different ways because like, you know, I remember like when I came out, the idea of, you know, well, what does it mean to be a, a gay guy? You know, what, what does, how does the guy man piece fit into that? You know, there's so many, so I, I in, in, on a certain level, I totally get what you're saying and really, really feel that. Um, do you think that because you came out publicly, there was any pressure to, you know, look a certain way or to be a certain way and for any reason whatsoever? Or do you feel like you were able to just like be whatever version of yourself you were comfortable with? I feel like there was internal pressure to be mm-hmm. a certain type of person. And I think the way that that presented itself. And so for context, I came out in 2010 and my first public coming out was I wrote an article for the Advocate magazine talking about my experience as a transgender athlete who had done my first Ironman race as male. And so I talked about that. And then within six months, I was in the New York Times full back page color Mm -hmm. profile. And that was like the big coming out. So you like, then I'm forever Mm -hmm. the trans athlete. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I had this pressure of, of wanting to be perceived as a certain way so that people didn't misgender me or maybe question my uh, question the validity of me competing with men. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, yeah. I, it, it didn't come out in a way of, of being, you know, I didn't turn into um, a, a cartoon version of myself. And I don't think I hyper overly you know, expressed uh, toxic masculinity or, or thing, stereotypes in any certain way. But I can definitely say that I was, posturing a little bit in in that I was trying to protect myself from being misgendered or uh, you know I, I wanted to make sure it was very important to me at that time to be read as male and to be uh, acknowledged as male and so I think that there were probably moments in my expression mannerisms like you know even okay something as simple as smiling right <laughs> and granted okay we're in 2021 now 2010 not that long ago kind of long ago in this evolution of being able to be a sensitive guy, right? Or being able to be a guy who smiles and is nice mm-hmm. to people, which sounds so silly, like, but that was definitely mm-hmm. the way that I felt that, that if I was too kind and giving, or if I, if, if I smiled, that I would get flagged, that I would, that I would get clocked or that I would get red. And so mm-hmm. A part of that was also probably that I didn't want to smile for so many years because I didn't feel comfortable being in photos because I didn't feel comfortable with myself. But there was a real evolution that happened in those first couple of years after around that part. That makes so much sense. I mean, I I will never be able to say, you know, I understand exactly where you're coming from just because we have lived two totally different experiences. But I guess on like like a, a much, much smaller scale, I kind of understand where you're coming from because it's like anything to make yourself, it, for me, after I came out, anything, any sort of expression of like femininity was othering myself more than I felt comfortable with. And so I guess on like that is probably similar to what you experienced on a similar level or similarly, I I can't smaller imagine level. much smaller. Level. <laughs> so let you me know. ask you, Matt, was there ever a, a, a point then of like, so, and I'm thinking particularly in sports, you were an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. 
an athlete in a sport that is pretty body conscious, that is pretty, um, <laughs> you, you don't like, say. Ex- yeah, pretty externally, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like in, in a pretty like gay or gay friendly sport from outside perception. Internally mm-hmm. on a team, I don't know how that plays out, right? But like, uh, you know, in terms of diving, like you're you're naked, you're wet, like everybody's hot, like it's like kind of it's kind of gay in, in a good way. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's probably a good place to be a gay guy, and. You know, I think wasn't that, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> for, for many, uh, for many of us as queer athletes, there's this moment before we come out where we are questioning everything, where we are questioning how we're standing, what we're talking about. Am mm-hmm. I talking about who I who I went to the movie with this weekend, or am I saying that I did it by myself? Like this almost secret double life to cover up who we're hanging out with, who we're interested in, and to try to fit in with our cis and straight teammates. And I know that yeah. many, many athletes have shared this experience of being like, you know, I can't talk about my, I can't let anybody hear my, my pregame playlist because they might think it's too gay. Like if I stand with my hand on my hip this way or this way, are people going to think that I'm too femme or too gay or whatever? You're thinking mm-hmm. about even something about how you're getting out of the water and walking away from the pool deck. Did that look too gay? Like as mm-hmm. queer athletes, we have this in our mind all the time. And yeah, a lot of us have for your this. teammates. Like yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah, Exactly. So you know, in inflection in our voice and anything. Mm-hmm. So there comes a point where when we do come out, some of us feel so incredibly free to be ourselves that that happens instantly. But I think many, many, many of us have this experience, Matt, that you're talking about of being like, okay, now that people know that I'm like, that I'm gay, am I being too gay? Am I being too femme? Like, is that, is, is this going to draw attention to me? Is it, are people going to question me? You know, and I think that there, fortunately, many people come to this settling point where you go through that whole process of, of caring deeply about what other people think. And then you realize ultimately that none of that matters. And that at the end of the day, you have to be happy. And then we can say honey and girl and, and like, you know, live our best gay life. But until that point, you know, there's a real reckoning that happens in how we're interacting and how we're balancing our own authenticity as well as being a part of a team. Totally. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I was like, as you were talking, I was like going through like my high school experience after I came out and just like, you know, it, it all, you, you hit it right on the, on the head. It's just super interesting because the team that we were on in college was <laughs> so <laughs> gay. <laughs> just Our like, college was also so gay. <laughs> yeah. And it, that was honestly like a lot of the, the decision of wanting to go there because not only was it, very gay friendly and you know there were already older people on the team who were out and like living proud lives and th- it was also like the athletics was really high level you know like we would send people to national championships every year so it was it was almost like i mean obviously it was two different experiences but it really was night and day going from like being the only gay person on a high school team and like even at, even after coming out always kind of thinking about that to be not even being the only gay person on the diving team let alone on the swim and diving team where it just like those thoughts of you know how I'm presenting myself the way that I'm speaking whatever what I'm listening to never even crosses your mind at that point it was it, it was honestly it was a really cool experience I feel like I feel like we did have a few instances where it was like brought up with like other teams looking at us and being like, why the hell is your team so flamboyant? Like, why are you all such queens? But even just like having the like solidarity and having the unity of kind of like being with everyone, it was like and even the like 
the straight people on the team were very accepting, very supportive. And like, it was that family type of mentality where they could kind of pick on us a little bit, but then like the second it came from another team, they were like, how dare you like talk to our, our family like that. So yeah, it was that's what I game. love about sports. That's awesome. And so Matt, I just question, just a quick question. You yeah. mentioned that you knew that that school was gay friendly or that it was pretty mm-hmm. queer friendly. And I'm curious for both of you, since you went to the same college, how did you know that that, like what, what tipped you off? What were the, things that you saw or heard as you were looking to go into that college experience that told you it was going to be an accepting place. Cause I think this is a really valuable pull out mm-hmm. for listeners of it. You know, we're all in workplaces in sports teams and leagues organizations. How did you know that this place was going to be friendly, welcoming and accepting? Um, well, I'm going to speak on Aaron's behalf that he met me on his first visit. So that's probably how he knew there was plenty of gays around. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea what Aaron's experience was like. No, it, it truly um, is by visiting the school and like trying to yeah. meet the people who go there and mm-hmm. see like what's important to the student body there. Yeah, my first visit was on like an official recruiting trip. And so I was just meeting other people on the team um, and just, you know, I was already out at that point and um, was, you know, that was kind of something that I knew going into it was really important. It was like, I'm going to be my authentic self and if it vibes and if it clicks with people, that's going to be a really, you know, good thing. It's going to be, I mean, it's like one of the most important things. Um, And so when I did that, I would like immediately, the other people there were like, oh, you know, you should meet this senior diver who is also gay so who you'll be spending a lot of time with um and so it just it honestly it was a lot of allies who were like oh sweet like i you if you want to talk to somebody else about that experience like let me introduce you to somebody about that and not in like a oh you're gay here's the other gay kid and like a yeah you're here like you're here to like learn (laughs) yeah right it was like you're here to learn about the team and learn about this experience like here's one piece of it of your identity that's important to you. Like, why don't I like introduce you to somebody who can talk to you about that? Um, and just like it not being a big deal, but also recognizing that it's important at the same time, that, that balance to me. And I think the culture on the team too, is it's like everybody just wanted people to go there if they thought it was going to like make them happier. Like I, I feel like when I visited, everyone just kind of wanted everyone to have the best college experience that they could have. So they were like, this is what it is. And it's, that's like what you were saying Matt, about just kind of like being yourself and like if you don't fit in don't go there is something that i think i found in college too and i'm like even working on like job applications and things like that like i've i've been editing my resume recently and like my resume is aggressive it has like a picture of me across the top like it's like fun fonts fun colors but it's like why would you ever dull yourself down to to get into a school or get into a job to then like Cause if they're not going to appreciate those factors about yourself, like that's not where you want to be because you're not going to thrive. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to grow. You're not going to learn about yourself or like be the best version of yourself. So I think that that is a really, really key takeaway for anybody listening is so important. That's so important. And thinking about, like you said, even for job searching now, right? Like so many people dull themselves down to try to fit into what they think a a culture is going to be. And then are miserable when they can't fully be themselves in that culture. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, now there are enough places out there that are, you know, uh, welcoming, accepting, uh, not, not only that, but embrace queer people, uh, want queer people on their teams. 
that we have the opportunity to fully be ourselves. And I love that that people kind of not hooked. I almost said hooked you up. <laughs> not, not hooked. <laughs> That's for a different podcast, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's part two about what really happened with Senior Diver. But um, but I think that that piece of seeing other people who are like you is so important. And like, that's kind of what I, what I wanted to, to hear about in your experience of saying that what, how we know that it, that's safe for us to be who we are is by the messages that we get around us from our environment, from the people, from how they talk, how they interact and how you describe that as it being uh, not a big deal, but also realizing that it is very important to who you are is that's really the perfect, like holding, holding in the perfect uh, position to say, yeah, I'm not just trans, right? I'm so many other things aside from being transgender. Transgender is just a part of my identity, but also it's a very important part of my identity. So I don't want you to fully ignore the fact that I'm trans. Like my daily experience is colored each day by the fact that I'm trans. I view that it is my salient lens. All of my experiences filter through that. And it's very important to me. But at the same time, there are many other fun facts about me that we can talk about, not just me being trans. And I think that's you know important, and and that in holding that identity publicly, it it provides that opportunity that like the diver did for you, of seeing somebody like you in a space, surviving, thriving, having a good experience, and that's really what everybody needs to see is that reflection of themselves where they want to be. I, I, yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm still trying to formulate exactly what this question is, um, but it, it kind of jumped to me when you were saying that, you know, we're, Aaron and I are talking about our experiences as, you know, gay, cis men, and as, a, you know, a public persona who is, you know, publicly trans, do you feel like you are ever expected to or forced to kind of represent identities that you aren't? in a way, you know, cause we're talking about this, like, re- like this common queer experience, right. But you know, you, your experience is obviously not the same as, as our experience for a number of reasons. Do you ever feel like you have to represent, you know, like gay cis men, for example, as this like queer figurehead? Yeah, no, I mean, Cis gay men have enough of their own, uh, you know, yeah, folks really to know. represent them, you know, <laughs> and, and I think it's interesting what you talk about a universal queer experience that there's, you know, we just have to say there's not a universal queer right. experience aside from, from universal oppression in the United States and across the world because of our identity as being a member of the LGBTQ plus community. That's, that's common. And, but there are certainly, uh, some some older white cis gays who navigate navigated the system and do not experience that oppression because of their sexual orientation and you know i think that when people there are a lot of people who expect me to represent the trans community and so you know it's one of these things that we're still in a position where they're only going to invite one trans speaker to the thing you know if it's like it's not like everybody gets the opportunity to come and talk and so in some cases i am a person who's there who is the trans representation but just as there's not a universal queer experience there's not a universal trans experience and the way that i can sort of manage that is that i feel well equipped to talk about the differences in my experience always 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 calling out the male privilege and the white privilege that i received when i transitioned uh the sort of you know being perceived as straight 
gives me another mm-hmm. set of privileges and that it's very different than my friends who are black and brown trans people and very different mm-hmm. than any transgender woman, particularly in sports. You know, what I've faced in sports has been very, very uh, easy road by comparison to any transgender woman who just wants to participate. And I'm not talking about in, on Team USA, I'm talking about your local you know, pickup game that, mm-hmm. that our experiences are very, very different. And I can also talk about the violence that happens in our community and the policies and the bills that are targeting our community. And I feel like I know that I'm expected to be that representation. So I've figured out ways to manage it in a way that speaks to and elevates voices in my community and always telling people that I'm just a case study of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's super smart. The, I like that phrase, you know, I'm a case study of one. I think that really hits it, you know, right on the head. I mean, th- it's such a, such a nuance, such a difficult conversation to have for, you know, a number of reasons, but you know, what you're talking about your experience as a trans per- as a trans man in sport versus that of a trans woman in sport is just you know so so different um what is there i don't want to say like a a solution or I, I actually yeah i mean is there based on everything that's kind of going on like do you see there being a solution for the the attacks essentially that yeah, that uh, trans women face and just trying to participate. I mean, what what does that solution look like to you or, or how would you categorize it? I think the start of the solution, and there are many people who are actively working on this and lots of grassroots organizers and people in our community who do incredible work. And I think part of that work is changing public per- perceptions of who we are. There have been so many stereotypes, myths, and misconceptions about the transgender community and specifically about trans women that have been perpetuated through media. And you know, in sport, you'll see this all the time, but also just in movies, music, and television that I think about what I learned when I was growing up that as a trans person, what I saw about trans people was on Jerry Springer and Maury Povich where it was some sort of exposure or like you're, you're lying, you're, you're being deceitful, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that it was something like that. And those were very dangerous situations that I saw play out on television, whether they were real or not. I also had messages like Ace Ventura Pet Detective where, you know, they find out that uh, Finkel is Einhorn and Einhorn is Finkel and there's a trans character and then everybody pukes and vomits and is disgusted. And, and, you know, I, that was the comedy movie that I grew up watching over and over and over again after school. And so when we have messages like that, I think part of the solution is a movie uh, like the documentary called Disclosure on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Here's your homework after this is to go and watch Disclosure on Netflix. And it, it shows trans representation in the media over time mm. and you know back to the earliest of films and how these messages have, have changed and shaped the way that people treat trans people in real life. So if you only know me as a joke, as somebody who's lying or being deceptive and as uh, you know, somebody who should be bullied or, or potentially murdered based on what you see on TV, my real life interaction with you is not going to be pleasant for me, right? And so whether Absolutely. you call yourself a good person or not, because we have, we have these biases that are ingrained in us based on what we see and what we hear. 
So yeah. I think unpacking some of that stuff is the early steps of, of making it better for our communities as a whole. And then obviously that needs to be backed up with policies and bills mm -hmm. and laws that protect us uh, and not with special treatment and not with, with uh, special things, but just equal human rights, mm -hmm. like basic dignity and human rights given to everybody else in this country. And there's Absolutely. an asterisk with that, obviously, because there are a lot of people who don't have the same yeah. basic human rights. But yeah, um, I, I, yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that idea of special treatment gets really um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it gets really warped, misunderstood. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people when they when inclusive legislation is drafted. To people who have never experienced anything other than inclusion, it feels like those people are getting a leg up, I bet. Look and at Black so, Lives Matter from yeah, 2020. Totally. I mean, look it's at... Just, it's a complete lack of understanding is mm -hmm. what it comes down to, for sure. Totally. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir or not. I have a, have a little bit of a feeling I am and, you know, whatever we could all use. Uh, <laughs> we could all use more of these conversations. Yeah, but... I don't know. I, I think it's something that I had to kind of understand for myself in like a number of ways and that like special treatment is not leveling the playing field. And there are going to be things that may not apply to me that seem like special treatment, but it's in reality, it's just leveling the playing field. Like I come from a place of privilege in so many different ways. And in order to level things out, it's going to seem like I'm losing something when in reality I'm losing my advantage, my unnecessary, unworthy advantage, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's not just a limited amount of rights that can go around, right? Like there's not just like a, a limit on the amount of basic dignity that we can dole out and, and that totally. some people can get it and some people don't. Yeah, it's not it's a not pie. pie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it doesn't mean that me getting a slice means that you have less slices. You will still have you know, you've been given. Yeah. And, and so I think that that's important. And, and, you know, when we're thinking about this, it's important to look at the way that young people are treated as well. Like, obviously there's a lot of privilege in the world in, in terms of, uh, you know, social class and particularly around race, but a lot around gender as well. And mm -hmm. a lot of the attacks that are happening right now in this legislative session are on the trans community, which is really interesting. You know, we kind of go back to, if things are getting better or where we're at, like we see attacks now from state lawmakers targeting specifically transgender high school student athletes, as well as transgender youth trying to prevent them. And now as of today, so mid-January, 2021, there are nine states that have bills on the table right now that would prevent, and not only prevent transgender youth from, from receiving gender affirming care that is in compliance with the best medical information that we have, it would also deem it child abuse for anybody who gave care to that child. And we know that gender affirming care helps to mitigate suicide, like uh, suicidal ideations, uh, that there are far fewer cases of self-harm and depression, anxiety that go along with people who are treated medically in an affirming way. And so, Lawmakers are putting these, these bills out to try to prevent trans people from living safe and happy lives. And, you know, it's can you imagine being a young person hearing your identity being debated by lawmakers 
misgendering, calling people it, uh, you know, just like these are the people who are supposed to be looking out for us and, and acting in our best interest. And they are actively trying to harm young people like me. Why do you think that these are still being put into place? Do you think that it's misinformation or do you think that it's malice? Um, yes. <laughs> I also think it's a lobbying effort. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, people talk about uh, our identity being politicized and it absolutely has. And it started probably you know, before the midterm election, probably even before, uh, before 2016. But there are a group of people who say that, uh, that I am not who I say I am, that my identity is a choice and that, uh, you know, I should not be allowed to exist in public with other people. <laughs> and the, you'll see that a lot of the bills that are coming out have the exact same wording. There are lobbying groups that distribute this to specifically conservative lawmakers. And it's similar to marriage equality. When, when marriage equality, uh, before mar- marriage equality passed in the United States, that was the issue, um, you know, like quote unquote gay rights was the issue of that time period where when you talk about this in an election cycle, you are driving a wedge in the voter base. People are either for you or with it or against it, right? And, and that was the case with marriage equality. Um, right now we are in the lead up to a proposed equality act where there would be you know, more human rights protections for all people in this country. Um, we know that gay and lesbian, bisexual, queer people and trans people are not protected federally in the same way as everyone else. And this is what is on the table. And I think that by using the bathroom bill, you know, bathroom bills or sports bills targeting trans people or trans youth, um, that's a way for people to divide voters. And that was, we saw many politicians in 2020 campaign around that idea. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel, because at least in my experience, a lot of these conversations tend to focus on young trans girls and trans women in general. Do you, do you think that those, and this is from someone who hasn't really read a lot of those bills, I haven't read any of those bills, I'm not gonna lie, I've read articles about the bills, I haven't read the nitty gritty details, I apologize, but you know, are they targeting young trans men and trans men, young trans boys and trans men in the same way and that the conversation is being driven by kind of centering trans women? No, and it's really, it's interesting because I saw this when I made Team USA, made All-American, you know, whatever whatever accomplishments I've had as a male athlete have been kind of met with a shrug and a good job. And they've been celebrated certainly in some in some areas, but largely by comparison to the stories of trans women wanting to compete you know, my story has kind of been a shrug and, and it goes back to sexism. It really, all of that is rooted in people don't think that I will be a threat against male athletes because I was assigned female at birth. However, someone assigned male at birth who's participating with women automatically is assumed to be bigger, faster, stronger, a better athlete because of this sexist notion about how sports yeah. values certain types of masculinity, who will be a good athlete and a lot of misunderstanding around testosterone specifically. So what we're seeing is that when people are, when lawmakers are putting forth these bills, it's not talking about people like me, you know, even the bathroom bills, we're talking about, you know, the way that they would say it is quote unquote, 
having a man in a women's restroom. And that's how they frame up a lot of the sports stuff too, which is mm. totally negates a trans woman's identity as a woman. And they're very specific about the language that they use to cause harm in that way. But no one was talking about me. So if a bathroom bill did uh, pass, I, that I would have to use a women's restroom. Like nobody wants me in a women's restroom. I'm a handlebar mustache. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but for a variety of reasons, I don't belong in a women's restroom. People don't want me in a women's restroom, but that's not part of the conversation. Just as in these, you know, uh, five or six states that have a sports bill right now that they're not talking about trans boys playing with boys in high school. And a lot of the language is specifically talking about girls and women in sports and and banning and prohibiting trans girls and women from participating with women in both high school and college sports. A couple of these states actually have write-ins for post-secondary education. Any public college or university would also not be allowed to have trans athletes participate. And that would be in direct violation uh, or contradiction to the NCAA policy that exists right now. So there's a lot of uh, problematic things that are happening, but it's definitely targeting trans women largely and trans men are an afterthought in this conversation. Hearing you explain it, you know, as the, the idea of like the unfairness of having, again, this is all in air quotes for people listening, but like the unfairness of a man competing with women is like, uh, yeah, it, it all, it makes sense when you put it that way as to, as to how these people are like rationalizing it when it's presented to them like that. Yeah, and let's be clear, there are policies in every sport that prevent and prohibit men from participating with women. There are very few co-ed sports, and mm-hmm. almost every league out there has some sort of, of wording about that specifically. That is very different than a trans woman wanting to mm-hmm. participate with women. And yeah. lawmakers intentionally conflate those two things uh, to sort of you know, drive this idea of fairness and, and question of fairness and is that fair? Uh, but they're framing it up like a NFL linebacker is going to transition <laughs> and want to play college volleyball, you know, like it, it, Absolutely. with girls. And it's and and that's and that's not the reality of what's happening. Uh, and and that's really the part of the damaging stereotypes and very intentional language that they're using to drive fear and and to further uh, demonize and discriminate against transgender people. And it's an ignorance of a lot of the science, is it not? Mm. I mean, I, I think I've read a, a paper that was published in a scientific journal. This one I actually have read. Um, <laughs> that basically was, and it was like what you mentioned before, is that there's these misconceptions about testosterone and that it is, it's placed on this weird, unnecessary pedestal in these conversations when that's like you're you're talking about testosterone as if it's like the gift of sports ability a gift of athletic yeah. ability when in reality there's like, like a so superhero much more. injection yeah when it's like that testosterone level is not what you need to be discussing so you're very clearly not following the science here it's just it's pure bigotry in my opinion yeah, and people can pick out whatever they want from from studies. There are very, very few studies on transgender athletes. So a lot of the statistics that people use to support this argument are not about trans people at all. Mostly they're they're talking about like Olympic level elite, 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 one percent of the one percent of the one percent athletes. And when you're comparing men and women that in that regard, there are a lot of problems with that. 
a lot of the lawmakers are framing this under the idea of quote unquote saving women's sports or protecting women in sports. And this is again, such a sexist idea. First that these old cis straight white men need to protect women and that they're so, so invested and that they're so <laughs> invested in women's sports. I would, I would guarantee that most of the people who have brought forth these bills do not care at all about women in sports, that they're not watching WNBA games. They're not buying tickets <laughs> to the national women's <laughs> soccer league. They are not supporting. They're not watching on TV, promoting female athletes. You know, like there are so many things that go into this. Um, this is just another way I think to police women's bodies and you know there's there's a long long history of sex verification testing of gender verification testing in sports and it took a very long time for us to move away from that deeming it a human rights violation like there used to be naked parades where women and female athletes would have to parade nude in front of a panel of judges to quote-unquote prove that they were woman enough to be part of a women's team now fast forward disgusting last year in march of 2020 the state of idaho passed a bill similarly that says that any young person could question whether or not a girl is really a girl on a girl's team in high school and that would trigger an investigation of her of her genitals of her chromosomes or her hormone levels so we're now in a position where if like i can't imagine being a 15 year old female athlete in the state of idaho having a great jump shot, and this was my experience as a young person, that people would say, is that a guy or a girl? Regardless of how I looked, however I presented myself, I could look, you know, have the same ponytail uniform and be standing still next to my teammates. And people would still question me about that based on a variety of things, but my vibes, (laughs) but definitely my jump shot. And now a young athlete in Idaho could be me when when I was a kid, has a good jump shot, somebody says, I don't think that's really a girl. And then that would trigger a pelvic examination in order to see if she was girl enough to play on a girl's team. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of another word. Uh, any yeah. synonym will do. <laughs> yeah. I'm very impressed with how um, knowledgeable you are about all these like individual laws and, and mandates and things like that. It's really really impressive yeah thanks i mean i think that this is this is why i'm out like honestly Mm -hmm. when uh in 2010 i had such a hard time coming out and specifically because i was terrified about what other people would think of me and that was my big thing socially right it's like i don't know any other trans people i don't want to get killed on my way to work i am very afraid to tell people i'm trans because it feels very dangerous and I'm also worried, like, how will my mom take it? How will my coworkers take it? How will my boss take it? You know, there's so many questions. I think that in coming out, in that having that experience and also doing it through sport. So in sport, there were no policies in 2010 in the sports that I was in. So for me mm-hmm. to come out and change categories, I had to email the organizations that I was a part of and say, hey, I'm transgender. I see you don't have a policy. Um, how can I continue to participate? And then they would go, oh gosh, I don't know. We haven't ever gotten this question before. So let me forward you on to eight of my colleagues. And then, you know, they're like, oh, actually, I think that maybe uh, Joe in, in this department could help you. So, you know, at the end of a week, I'm forwarded on to 40 people outing myself and nobody has an answer for me. And that felt horrible. Like it just yeah, felt yeah. so 
invasive and like I had to jump through so many hoops just to play the sports that I love. So I created transathlete.com in 2013 to serve as sort of, you know, hopefully the hub of, uh, of policy. And this is why I know so much about it because I study it so that I can advocate, Mm. uh, so that you know, other people in sport don't have to have that experience of outing themselves. Like we can see good policies, but it also mm-hmm. enables me to work with leagues and organizations to help them create better policies um, or policies in general. And and so that's been the way that I've been able to serve my community is by knowing these bills and helping to to rally people to fight against them. as um as a trans man and in these discussions that seem to really in these conversations that tend to like really demonize specifically trans women do you ever feel like um maybe it's not your place to to speak on certain issues or that you know maybe people are taking the easy way out by talking to you rather than talking to trans women or they're like protecting their themselves by talking to you rather than trans women um i guess i you know, it, what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever feel any of those? Yeah, I feel like, you know, always uh, having people at the table who can speak to the personal experience is great. And at the same time, I also know that it sucks to be tokenized like that. Like, I can't speak on behalf mm. of all trans men even. And mm. then when people just want to ask me about the trans male experience, that can feel really, uh, really tokenizing. And so Absolutely. I get, you know, not necessarily asking a trans woman to, to satisfy all of your curiosities about trans women is that's a bad idea to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I feel like I can help elevate other people's voices. And that's an important part of my work because I do have a platform and I can help to elevate other people to raise their platform and their visibility if they are not like me. And then I also think that it absolutely is my job to talk about this, even though I can't talk about it from personal experience. As a, as a feminist, as somebody who advocates for uh, equal rights for women and gender equity, I think that I absolutely you know, should be talking about this at every opportunity that I get. And that it's important that I'm talking not just to people who get it, not just to women about their experience, but also to, to the trans community and to cis men and to mm-hmm. everyone that everyone that we can have conversations with because um it's not the job of women to to fight for women all the time like everybody Absolutely. should be in this fight and it's not just the responsibility of the marginalized person to fight for their own existence we need allies in this work and i think i can be of great service to uh you know people um who are not exactly like me because of my pretty unique experience in my you know in the sports world of existing of of existing and navigating the world as being perceived as female and then transitioning to male and in sports that's a pretty unique uh a pretty unique experience and and there's a lot of learnings to be gleaned from that experience yeah absolutely wow that was uh i thought that was beautifully said (laughs) i agree that was really well said yeah I think it also probably did. A, I don't think I asked that question maybe in the, in the best of ways, but I think you like, you, you took it in the yeah. best possible direction. So th- for my sake, thanks, but uh, for, <laughs> well, I got what you're saying. 
Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I think we're probably going to have to wrap up, but is there anything that is kind of along the lines of what we've talked about today or anything else that you want to talk about today, Chris? I know we, we covered a lot, so no pressure. <laughs> well, the last question got me thinking about, you know, when I said that I, it's important that I speak uh, not you know, that I speak to cis men and that I speak to members of the trans community about gender equity and about, you know, um, about elevating women's voices in sports mm-hmm. and in, in this world. And I think that's a really important call out is that a lot of the homophobia and transphobia that I experienced actually came from within the queer community. And particularly for my experience of transitioning, I found that while I felt pretty well accepted as a queer person, say in my LGBTQ sports leagues, for example, I felt pretty well accepted as a queer person. Uh, and I think part of that is, you know, I bring value through sports. And this is probably why I, I dove so deeply into athletics is that I felt like I would be accepted because I was a good athlete, even if people didn't really understand me off the court or the field, that a lot of, a lot of queer athletes throw themselves into sports to try to be excellent, to sort of cover mm. Uh, not having that community outside of sport. And that was definitely my experience as a young person and as a person who just before transition was trying to make queer community in New York City. But when I transitioned, I found that I was really uh, met with some discrimination from within the the queer community that um, I got a lot of pushback from cis gay men uh, in, in insisting that they were able that they were able to call me girl just because they called other people girl or that they could use words like tranny because it was popular on Project Runway or whatever at that time and and that uh, that, that, that there were gay men who had each other as tranny in their phone and so they thought that they could just had the privilege to use that sort of language because they were quote unquote in group or because they were part of the LGBTQ community. And I think we just need to understand that there's so much that we don't know outside of our own experiences. So that even if you are in the LGBTQ community, it doesn't mean that you know about people who are trans. Like if you're gay, you don't necessarily know what it's like to experience biphobia or to be a bisexual person and to experience the erasure of your identity or mm-hmm. you know, misconceptions about being bi. You know, just because you're lesbian doesn't mean you understand the trans community and, and on and on. And I think that's really important because we are uh, lumped together, you know, for better or worse, in, in solidarity to move towards equal rights, to move towards, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's based on social movement, right, of, of fighting for one another. And there have been a lot of times where I felt like the queer community did not show up for me uh, in, in my transition and I think that's really heartbreaking. And I think that anybody who's listening who identifies as a member of the queer community should keep that in mind. Like you don't know what you don't know and you don't know everything about everyone else's experience just because you are part of that of, of the greater queer community. So just to be open to, to do the same work that we would ask of cisgender allies, I would ask of other members of the queer community as well. And it's so important that we move in solidarity, that we are trying to, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you all got your copy of the queer agenda in the mail yet, but like, as we're moving forward with the queer agenda in, in 2021, uh-huh. like, that, we're, <laughs> that we're all working together, um, you know, and that we're not leaving a certain group of people behind. And that's just super important that we are aware that we are not, 
we don't know it all just because we're gay or lesbian or bisexual. Like we don't know everything about the queer, uh, the trans community. Absolutely. That was beautifully said. I, yeah. I mean, snaps, claps. I couldn't, <laughs> I mean, if, if I, I could, could elevate, elevate that, that to the, the highest level, level, I would. Um, I think that was so beautifully said. And we will, so we will promote important. the shit yeah. out of this episode. We will force <laughs> everyone to listen to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> we will scream it from the rooftops. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. So in, in wrapping up, Chris, we do ask one final question at the end of the episode. Chris, what is the gayest, queerest thing that you did this week? Oh, my gosh. Interpret as you will. Yeah, interpret as you will. <laughs> you well, go first. I'm, I'm going to think of something good. Okay. Aaron, why don't you go first? The week that we're recording this. I turned 25, so I had my birthday a few days ago, and I filled up my room with balloons, which was pretty gay. And had and, a photo and, shoot. And yeah, that's yeah, that's a, actually a better <laughs> that's a better note. I had a full fledged like uh, photo shoot with a yeah. I bought like a background. I bought balloons. I bought a cake. I had my roommate take photos of me for like an hour and a half. It was very vain, but I was also like, yeah, what a 25. What else are we gonna do? We're in quarantine. Like this will be fun, and it was fun. So. That's awesome. Yes, that was that was pretty. <laughs> Matt, what was the gay thing that you did this week? I'm at my I'm staying at my boyfriend's for a few weeks, and so that in and of itself is pretty gay. But um, the amount that I have been like babying the dog, he <laughs> has this little. Um, he's a dachshund Doberman mix, but he so he's but he basically just looks like a, a dachshund with like. A little bit longer legs um the amount that i have been like screeching at him in like mm-hmm. love and affection the last couple of days has been like i mean i i think i'm to the point where like the sounds i'm making are only audible by like dolphins they are just so high <laughs> mother bird noises <laughs> literally so i'm gonna go ahead and say that's probably some of the gayest stuff i've done this week yeah that's so good i feel like i have not done much this week um i I, I remember waking up the day after the presidential election four years ago and mm. went to bed thinking one thing would happen, woke up and something else completely different happened. And we know how that panned out for four years. So I feel a little justified in saying that that morning I woke up crying and I cried and I thought, you know, what is life going to be like for the queer community for four, four years uh, do I even have a job? Because my job is to try to, you know, like, uh, is talking about inclusion in sports. Is that even relevant now? Because we're going to, we have a lot more at risk uh, yeah. of losing than just sports. And I vowed that morning to just be extra, to be extra queer, extra gay, extra, extra, um, as much as I could. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and that was it. I'm being like, in the face of adversity that that I just doubled down on being just like super queer, like queer, 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 queer. Um, I, so I, I actually feel bad that I don't, I can't think of like the queerest thing that I did this week, but I have tried to make it uh, an like an extra note to just like, look at, and here's the situation. Now, how can I make it extra gay? It's <laughs> <laughs> that. a good lens to, to live your life looking through. Absolutely. I would say that's a pretty queer thing to have done for the last four years to be extra yeah. queer. So I think you, I think you honestly have us beat on that one. Yes. 
hundred percent. And I vow from this day out to be extra, 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 extra queer. Yeah. Well, your photo shoot is a strong start. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's definitely not the first photo shoot, so. Anyway. Is this an OnlyFans ad? What is happening right now? <laughs> well, not, we're not at that point yet. Once my Hollywood career falls through, then we'll probably approach that. But, yeah, but. there we go. That's it right now. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Plan B, plan C, mm-hmm. D, E, F. Of course. Just for clarity's sake, Aaron is just an incredibly talented photographer, so he's been on both ends of the, oh, the lens. And then, Chris, we also like to end by having our guests highlight either an organization or a cause or anything that's near and dear to their heart. This is our soapbox. We're giving it to you. What would you like to? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I feel like I just like was on a soapbox the entire time that I was talking about policy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, two, two points. Um, the first is uh, my website is transathlete.com. For anybody who's looking for information about trans people in sport, about policy, even basic terminology about uh, the trans community being a better ally, go there, uh, get some you know basic education. You have a great resource at your fingertips. It's G O O G L E. You know, use that instead of using a trans person. That's my soapbox. Yes. Yeah, I'm on the board of directors for a nonprofit called Point of Pride, and Point of Pride is entirely run by trans people, volunteer organization that helps with gender affirming care for trans people. So uh, we have distributed um, tons of chest binders and tucking garments for the trans community, uh, as well as uh, having a surgery fund, an electrolysis fund, and also during COVID, uh, emergency COVID grants that we were granting to members of the trans community. And just an incredible organization run by passionate volunteers. And it's pointofpride.org. Uh, folks wanted to check it out to refer anybody who's trans and non-binary who needs uh, you know, help with their care. And uh, if you want to donate, we are always accepting donations so that we can continue to serve our community. Amazing. I love that. That's incredible. And then Chris, where can everybody find you? Mostly on Instagram at the Chris Mosier, but also uh, talking trash on Twitter about policies and things like that. So, uh, yeah, social media, the Chris Mosier or the Chris Mosier.com. Enormous, the biggest possible thanks to yes. Chris for talking to us today. This was unbelievable. Incredible. So, so amazing to talk to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Queer in the air with you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for checking out this week's episode of Queer in the Air. Once again, I'm Matt. And I'm Aaron. We would absolutely love for you to take the time to write a review of our podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out. And please remember to subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. If you want to keep up with us or keep us in check, you can find us on our social media. You can find me at Maddie Roar. You can find me everywhere, Aaron Idelson. And you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Queering the Air Pod. If you'd like to reach us by email, you can find us at QueeringTheAirPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Thank you so much to all of our guests and listeners. We appreciate you all lots. New episodes of Queering the Air are released every single Tuesday. Our podcast music is All For Me by Swift, provided from Epidemic Sound. 
All views expressed on the podcast are our own. As always, if you want to keep us in check or continue the conversation, feel free to DM us on our social media or email us. 